you had to be aware, uh, everybody here, about what happened in Haiti. And uh, I want to talk with you a little about that. And I think it feeds into just this whole uh, what we're digging into right now. Um, because of your faithfulness, and it, it has allowed us to do something that I think is significant and meaningful. Uh, as soon as the earthquake hit and the word began to come out about the devastation, uh, we started getting in touch with people that we work with in a global way. And we immediately were able to start getting ready. And we are sending $20,000 to a place that's going to make a huge difference. Um, and it's a great start. It's a start. And what we wanted to do is it just to flood money in at this point, really, in the places we're looking at, isn't going to do the kind of effect we want to have. And so it gets us uh, uh, in the midst of the work. It gets us uh, uh, some need met right away. Um, we are in contact with an organization that is probably at some point going to need a team of people to go. But that won't be for a while. So you start praying about that and you may be able to be on that team that goes down and, and, and starts to give hope and starts to help rebuild lives and, and do some amazing things. What we all can do though right now is we can begin to meet the need that's there in a pretty incredible way. Ron Anderson, who's a part of our church family, uh, Ron felt led by God to offer this to us. And he said, if we collect the needed supplies, he personally is going to pay for the shipping to make sure it gets there. Now, um, which I think is cool. So what we're going to ask, starting Wednesday, if you could collect uh, a bottled water is a huge need. Uh, uh, food, uh, like nutrition bars, things like that that are nutritious and not perishable and easily packed and moved. Those are a huge need. Uh, clothing, and I want to make this really clear. We're going to ask you to only bring new clothes. Uh, uh, it, it just becomes almost un, unable to, to figure out what to do when we have a lot of different kind of wear and clothing. And if you bring brand new clothes, uh, we'll be able to get it to people easier, quicker. It makes it easier to work here, easier to work down there, you know, Target, Walmart, whatever. But we just need to make sure they're new. And, and of all sizes and all ages, we need that. Uh, the, then this one's huge, first aid kits. Uh, I think you're hearing there's hospitals with nothing. And if we can get some quality first aid kits, they're put together in such a way we can get those into a place of need. Now, that's how we want to begin. And, and there'll be other things we're going to be able to do. But I, I know that you, like me, man, we're praying about this. I mean, we're really praying about it. And uh, Thursday night, uh, as I was getting ready to come here, a team of us gather on Thursdays here to get ready for this, this time. Um, I was watching World News Tonight with Diane Sawyer and... I think that there's so much heartbreak going on. Uh, but one of the things that I just thought, you got to be kidding me. And, and Lord, I don't know. I just don't know anything else to do but pray. Is all of the children that were one day away from coming to the United States and having a home that now can't. And uh, I just, I mean, it, it, we want to help all the kids, period. But can you imagine you're literally thought that you were going to get on a plane and now you're not going to. And, and so it's like, God, that's incredible. And then the other thing we heard about, Lisa and her team have been involved with, there's a home for special needs children that I guess was just decimated. And, and that's, a, that's a group that would be very easily overlooked. Uh, we're wondering if God's not calling us to be very instrumental in the rebuilding of that home and, and the really caring for those kids. So we're asking God to really lead and guide in this. So let's pray about that now. Let's pray about our time together. Father, I know there's needs everywhere. There's needs here. There's needs in, in, in India, Africa, but... This is devastating. And our hearts, my heart, I think our heart as a church family goes out. And I, I, I pray that you would be with the believers in Haiti, those who are in need of you, those who are in need of help. Uh, I thank you for those who are willing to give of themselves. 
But God, I pray you would guide and direct us in where we can literally invest ourselves in a way that would partner with so many amazing Christian organizations and people in really bringing hope and bringing love and not just saying be warmed and be filled, but giving them a way to be warmed and be filled. And God, I, I thank you for the stories we're hearing of amazing Christians who are already doing amazing things there. And uh, God, I pray that you would protect them and bless them. God, I pray today that we would have a heart's desire to, to reach out to you and to have you work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I have a friend who right now already made it to the Dominican Republic, and he is able to cross the border and get aid. Lots and lots of people are doing that. Uh, I did feel like when I was watching the news, though, it was like a worship service. Uh, I don't think that was meant, but uh, in my understanding, I don't mean this meanly, but my understanding is Diane Sawyer is not a Christian. But if you watch the news Thursday, did you notice that almost everybody she interviewed was a Christian? She went to, in, down in Haiti up to person after person, doctors who were bringing aid, people who were helping orphans, all, and they just all were believers. And she's just talking with them. And then, then in the midst of all that, I mean, my heart's already stirring and I know everyone's different, but man, it was getting to me. And then she said this, she said, everywhere I've gone through Port-au-Prince, I've heard the same song being sung in the streets. And I asked, what are the words? And you're ready for this? Everywhere she went, she saw people in the streets singing these words, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, she, and then she showed it. And that, yeah. And she showed it. And she saw Haitian Christians raising their hands, singing with all their heart, tears coming down their face as they just praised God for who he was and that he was in their life, singing the song and then the chorus over and over again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it was echoing through the streets of people just crying out to a God who loved and cared for them. You see, it, it's, it does go to what we're talking about today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you come to the end of your rope and it's all taken away for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you realize the truth of who you and I are and, and why? Because yours is the kingdom of God. We're going to dig into it more, but the word blessed means to be immeasurably happy. But you're not blessed because you're poor in spirit. You're blessed because being poor in the spirit opens you up to the kingdom of God, which is God's power, God's promise, and God's presence. And, and that's what I want you to see today. And everybody is to, to do that on a daily basis. It's not a one-time moment. And it's not kind of just the one thing you do. Jesus is talking about eight attitudes that need to be so ingrained in us. They always dictate our, our actions and our reactions. And then he, he says, I want these to be yours completely. These are revolutionary thoughts. As a matter of fact, he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount with it, and he means for it to revolutionize our lives. But I want you to grab this. These truths are so revolutionary, they've actually changed whole countries. The United States is one. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said that what dictated his actions and his desire to attack racism in this country was that it had to be done according to the Sermon on the Mount. And as he enacted those truths and got his followers to abide by them, what happened is he ended up bringing an amazing revolution within this country. Mahatma Gandhi, who's not even a Christian, he believed that, that they needed to see India freed from British rule and he led a peaceful revolution, a nonviolent revolution. And do you know what he said was the foundation and the guiding force of his revolution was the Sermon on the Mount. 
And what happened is you saw literally a revolution that brought the British government to free India as a nation. And what did they do to Gandhi? They brought him to India. They gave him a parade and parliament stood in applause for him for five minutes. Why? Because he lived according to this. He, he dictated it according to this. Now, now we need to go beyond just the truths of it to embracing the giver of the truths of it. But I want to have you think about this. This is revolutionary in your life. And if you grab hold of it, you're going to find something amazing occurring. And that's what God's desire is for you. Jesus uh, went up onto the mount and he sat down and he began to, to actually say some amazing things. And by the way, sitting down meant he was going to sit in a place of authority and speak truth to people. And he begins again, this amazing uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with eight Healing choices, eight life choices that you and I need to make and they build off each other. All eight need to be in our life. And what happens is they bring an amazing, amazing happiness to us. In Matthew 5, 3, he begins with those words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In the Greek, there are two main words for blessed. The first is a word we get the idea of eulogize from. It literally means to speak well of or, or to give a eulogy for. And, and that's a blessing that, that God you know, calls out to us at times to have. But that's not what he's using here. The word he's using here is a Greek word, makurios. It's interesting. Aristotle thought a lot about this word and came up with what was called the Mercurian lifestyle or Mercurianisms. And the word makurios literally means to be happy. Blessed is a great translation, but it's not, not going to have the power of it. If you don't understand this, Jesus actually said, do you want to be happy? He said, I want you to be happy. And if these eight things are in your life, you're going to be happy. It's the Mercurios. By the way, it's not just happy. It's a supremely happy state. It's one where you would leap for joy. One that you said, if you have a Mercurios in your life, you can't hold it back. It's just going to exude out of you. And he says, that's the kind of happiness I want you to have. And that he begins to call for that. It's a happiness. Are you ready for this? Where you don't want anything uh, necessarily because it's not dictated by having to have something else given to you. Uh, in the day that Jesus lived, Cyprus was such a beautiful island. It was called the Mercurian Island or the island of Mercurios. Why? Because they believed anybody living on Cyprus would be so blessed they couldn't want anything else. Uh, uh, when I, I have this in my life and you have that in your life, you begin to actually live what David said in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. Now think about that. In other words, when you come to God and you do it the right way, God begins to do things in your life. So deep down, you say, you know what? I really don't have to have anything else happen. And this dictates my happiness. That's what God wants for you. Now, it's incredibly important, incredibly important to note that it's not saying that you're going to be happy every single second. It's not saying you're going to walk around just smiling all the time. You know, it, it, it's the difference here. And this is why I think it's important to note. That, that Jesus is saying, you can be, and I want you to be a truly happy person. Have you ever met anybody who's just a happy person? I mean that somehow, some way, they're, they're just happy. Now, it doesn't mean they don't cry tears. It doesn't mean they don't feel pain. By the way, we must do that if we're going to be truly happy people. We have to be able to feel it doesn't mean that when you get sick, you're going to go, okay, you know, I'm going to smile through it necessarily. But somehow, someway, happiness ends up taking over every situation, every, every uh, uh, 
a possible uh, event that occurs in your life. It just tends to do that. Now, I'm fortunate because I'm married to a very happy person. Now, is Pam ever sad? You bet there's times she's sad. Does she ever cry? Yeah, there's moments she cries. But overall, overall, what Pam brings whenever she walks into a room is a happy, happy uh, disposition. She's just a happy person deep down in. And, and every now and then she might get knocked off a little from it, but she always comes back to it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, I'll never forget, Pam and I were blessed because we were about to give birth to our first child, our first son, Rich. Who She's back in Syracuse with him right now. And uh, Pam ended up uh, uh, being not just nine months pregnant. She was two weeks over her due date. She was swollen beyond measure. I mean, you, I talk about, I mean, every ounce of her body was swollen. She could barely move. She could not fold her arms in. She had a, a, a toxemia that was just really wreaking havoc on her body. Then towards the end of her pregnancy, she got an incredibly horrible ear infection. And I'll never forget the day she stood before me crying because the doctor, Dr. Seals, looked at her and said, Pam, I am so sorry, but I don't think your body's going to let you deliver this baby with that ear infection because it's just going to fight it off. And he said, I can't give you anything for it. Um, You're going to have to tough it out. And she was in this throbbing, intense pain. Her body's fighting against her. We had some friends come over. We prayed over, over her and laid hands on her. And we're sitting and talking. And Pam's always trying to find the bright side on what's happening. And then one of the women says, hey, I've heard if you put warm oil in your ear, that might take away the pain. And we said, okay. And Pam's like, I'll try anything. So I got some oil and I heated it up on a spoon and she leaned over like this and I poured it into her ear. But I didn't realize what I was pouring in wasn't warm oil, it was hot oil. (laughs) It's funny now. Um, uh, She's bouncing all over it and and just screaming and I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And then in the midst of it all, we're all freaked. And then just, I don't even know who did it first. Someone starts laughing. And then Pam's got burning hot oil. She's more than nine months pregnant. She's swollen beyond measure. And she turns and just starts cracking up. And I know what she said is, why would I ever let Chuck do anything to me? And, uh, and she is just dying laughing. And then we're dying laughing. And, 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 and you know why? It's because in, in the midst of it all, that's who she is. She's just got Mercurios in her. She's got the blessedness of God within her. And by the way, don't miss this. What Jesus is saying is this works in every circumstance. It works no matter how people act towards you. It works no matter how much money you have or don't have. It works when the economy is good and the economy is bad. Are you ready? It works when you're on the beautiful beach of Hawaii or you're in the midst of Port-au-Prince with every building decimated. It works. That's why those people stood and said, blessed be the name of the Lord, crying out to God with tears of joy because they know him. It works then. It works in the prison and it works in the palace. By the way, you ready for this? It works when you're a mom who's just delivered that little baby and you're holding it in your arms and when your husband's pouring hot oil in your ear. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it works. And you know what? Here's the thing is it can't be taken from you. And that's what Jesus said. If you get these eight things in your life, and by the way, the whole idea of the word makirios is it's a word that we call, it's a predicative term. Predicative. It's predicated on you and I opening up to God in these various ways. Now listen to what the theological dictionary of the New Testament says about the word makirios. It says this. In this word, God affects a reversal of all human values. 
True happiness is not for the rich and secure, or is, is not for just the rich and secure, but is also for the poor and the oppressed who are rich only in pity, purity, and peace. Blessing is also for the persecuted, for those who hear the message of the kingdom of God in Matthew 13, 16. It also is for those who have great faith in God, we see in Luke 1, 45. It is for those who make no false demands upon God in John 20, 29. For those who watch for the coming of the Lord has this blessedness, according to Luke 12, 37. For those who stand fast, even in the midst of trial and temptation, according to James 1, 12. For those who understand the words and acts of Jesus and who he is, John 13, 17 says. It is the words of the mother of Jesus in Luke eleven twenty seven, who's more blessed than ever. But it is also for the women who are struggling because they will never have a child. And yet they have that blessing in an impending time of judgment in Luke 23, 29. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's interesting. This word is used for God. He's called the Makurios God twice in scripture. And why is that? Because he has this joy. And you know what Jesus is saying to you? Don't miss this. He's saying, I'm offering you the happiness God has. I'm offering you the happiness I have. And I want you to have it. Not just in heaven, in the here and now, it's for you. You can be a happy person. You can have happiness. And right now, nothing, nothing is keeping you from it if you would open up to God. Nothing. It's yours for the taking. Yours for inviting in. Yours to have. But how do you begin? Well, you begin by being poor in spirit. You cannot have this happiness if you will not be poor in spirit. And there's many different Greek words for poor, but this is the strongest Greek word for poor. It's the word tokos. It literally means to cringe, cower, and extend your hand shaking and begging. It's, it's not, hey, I'm poor. It's no, uh, can you help me? Can you help me? And if you and I aren't in a place, now by the way, not just on a one-time basis, but on an everyday basis with God, where I wake up in the morning and I genuinely mean it when I say, God, I need you today. And God, I know I need other people. I know that, that life, joy, everything that matters is not meant to be done alone. I need you and I need others. Jesus said, if you won't do that, you're never going to experience the incredibly amazing power of God in your life. And he wants us to experience it. By the way, think about what this word means. If I'm poor in spirit and I'm literally cringing and reaching out, it means, number one, that I'm humble. I'm not prideful. I'm not acting like I can make it without you. I'm actually saying, can you help me? And there's a humility that comes with that. And in that humility, we find the power of God moving in an amazing way. And Proverbs 17, it says that God sees the proud as abominable before him. And God's great desire is to help those who are humble, those who are contrite of heart. And so what he's saying is, you're never going to experience my love, my promises, my power, my presence, if you will not admit you need them and ask for it and ask for it to come in your life. But if you would say, Lord, I need you and God, I need other people, then it's going to come. I uh, remember years ago, I was at Corona High School Baccalaureate, and uh, I was going to be one of the speakers, but one of the other pastors got up, and man, he, he said things, I'll never forget this. Something hit him, and he got pretty emotional. And he said, I just want to tell you, I'm estranged from my son. And uh, I was talking with him the other day, and he doesn't share my belief in God and my values in life, and and it got pretty intense. And finally, he looked at me and said, Dad, don't you know Christianity's a crutch? And he said, I looked at him and said, you know what? I think it is. 
He said, but it's not wrong to have a crutch when you need a crutch. And he said, I want to tell you something. For 28 years, I've leaned on this crutch, and it's never let me down. I need God. I need God. And I thought, boy, me too. Uh, it was two years ago that Greg Glory was on Larry King Live. And uh, Larry King looked at Greg Glory, and he said, well, you know, Greg, Christianity's a crutch. And I'll never forget this. Greg Glory looked at him and said, Larry, you're wrong. It's not a crutch. It's the whole hospital. <laughs> You know what? It, it, it's about opening up to God and, and really doing that. And, and so to be humble enough to say, God, I need you. I need you is, is what we need to do. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you know what? That's what happens when you say to God, you know what? I, I want you so badly. And by the way, when you're that humble, you don't feel God owes you anything. I want to have you think about this because I meet people, even Christians, who act like, well, how could God let this happen? And we're acting like we don't deserve this. Now, I know some of you might be new, but let me just tell you something that all the Christians in here know. We never, ever want to get what we deserve from God. Right? Yeah. And, and, and we don't because uh, what we deserve. But, and, but here's the thing is that God does want to bless you and give to you, but we don't walk around acting like we, he has to or acting like we deserve it. There's the, that's not humility. As a matter of fact, when life hits you and takes you to your knees, do you know what you say if you're a person who has this kind of attitude, this poor in spirit attitude? What you say to God is, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Job said? Job had it all and he blessed God. Job had nothing and he blessed God. A person who understands who God is and humbles themselves before him. They don't, they don't act like, well, you owe me, God. Because the bottom line is, no, 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 he doesn't. But he does it out of love. And we just say, God, I need you. And anything you do, I'm willing to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give, you take away. And I'm just going to trust you. That's the kind of person who finds true happiness. The second thing this word means is this. It means we have transparency. If you're, you're saying, I need you, I need you, you're not, you're not hiding it. You're not pretending you don't have the need. You're not acting like you don't need it. By the way, so often in life, we get ourselves into trouble because what happens is we want to pretend uh, uh, something is not, uh, not really what it is. We want to put on a show. We want to act. And, and it gets us in trouble. Uh, kind of like Jeff Foxworthy just recently, I heard him talking about a guy who's driving into his driveway and he looks over and man, he, oh, his heart drops. His, doe, his Labrador retriever that he loves comes running towards the car, tail wagging with his neighbor's pet rabbit in its mouth. And he's like, oh my, and this neighbor loves this rabbit. I mean, he loves the rabbit. He brings it in the house and plays with it and cares for it. And, 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 and he's thinking, my, my friend is never going to forgive me. My dog killed his rabbit. He gets out and runs over. He gets a hold of the, he's fighting with the dog. And then he looks, it is covered in mud. It is dead. He can't believe it. Oh my gosh, there's no reviving it. And he thought, what do I do? The first thought is the right thing. Go tell the neighbor the truth. But he couldn't bear to do it. He thought, he's going to hate me. He'll never forgive me. He'll want to kill my dog. And so then... He comes up with a plan. He goes in the house and he shampoos the rabbit and, and he blows it dry. He even puts perfume on it so it won't have the dog smell. And he sneaks over to the fence and looks and he can't see his neighbor. He hops the fence, runs up to the rabbit hutch, puts the rabbit inside, shuts it, gets back, hops over looking, make sure he didn't get caught, goes and sits in his house. He's thinking, oh man. And he's just sick about what's happened. And he's thinking, I can't believe this has occurred. And, and it's only a few minutes. There's a knock at the door. And he looks out the little peephole and he sees his neighbor standing there with the rabbit in his hand. He thought, oh, he caught me. 
He opened the door and the neighbor goes, Frank, Frank, we've got a sicko in the neighborhood. My rabbit died two days ago. Somebody dug it up, gave it a bath and perfumed it. Yep. We always get into trouble when we, uh, uh, when we put on the show. Um, I went to the gym once. That's right, once. I got a membership. And um, I'm in the gym and I'm working out. And this guy walks up and goes, hey, I was at your church this last weekend. And I said, really? I go, was that your first time? He said, yeah. And then he goes, I got to be honest, I didn't like it. I said, all right. I said, that's okay, uh, but why don't you give it to me straight? Don't hold back. And he said, well, the music was really good. And, and you know, honestly, I, 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 I listened to you. I, I kind of liked your message. He goes, but you know what, Pastor Chuck? There's just a lot of messed up people at your church. <laughs> and I said, so do you think that makes us not a very good church? And he goes, well, yeah. I said, do you ever go to a hospital and walk in and go, oh, there's sick people here. What a lousy hospital. (laughs) And he said, what? And I said, let me have you think about this. The number one complaint about the church is that we're a bunch of hypocrites. But the word hypocrite means to put on the mask and put on the show. What you're telling me, you showed up at church and people were just honest. They were just transparent. I go, bottom line is you're messed up. I messed up. We're all got things that work, don't we? And he's like, yeah. I said, so what you're thinking is we're a lousy church because we don't fake it. He said, well, he goes, I think I might go back. You know, and (laughs) do you catch what's happening here? It's this idea of not being so prideful. Remember what it says in Proverbs chapter six. It says there are six things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him. The first one is haughty eyes, pridefulness. And when we give that up and we say, God, I need you. And don't miss this. It goes enough. And I need other people. What are the great expectations God had that you'd love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and love others? And you say, I need God and I need other people and I, I need to be honest about who I am. And if we all do that together, great things can occur. Uh, there's a, a church uh, in Atlanta, and I heard about this. I was a little surprised. But what happened, the, the pastor, Andy Stanley, was sharing that one of his small groups decided that if you're going to be in our small group, you've got to bring all your bills, everything you owe, and all the debt you have, and we're going to write it on a board and keep it up there for everybody to see. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought, too. What? Oh, my. I thought, boy, that'll kill a small group. Uh, but as I was listening, I, I thought about this. Okay, think about it. The, the reason they're doing it is they thought, let's just be honest with each other where we are and how to get out of it. Let's pray for each other, care for each other, hold each other accountable. What are, what are the statistical odds, you think, that the people in that group going and sharing that way in a place they are, 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 have trust, what are the odds that they're going to be out of debt in a year or two years? What do you think? You think it's pretty high? How about this? What if a man Friday night walks in to celebrate recovery and he takes a risk? He sits in the group and he says, um, hi, man, I have a drinking problem. I, uh, I really do. And it's killing me. It's killing my life, my, my family. I need help. What are the odds that man, if he consistently goes and says, I need you guys and I need others, what are the statistical odds that he'll be set free? What are the odds 
if a person walks in and says, I, I have an eating disorder, I eat, I just can't seem to stop, I need help. Will you be there for me? And I need God. What are the odds? What are the odds if someone walks in to celebrate recovery and says, man, I, I, I've got a sexual addiction. I try to hide it, but it's there. Dominates my thought life. I'm not, I, I can't even believe some of the thoughts I think. And then gets honest about it. Or what if someone said, I have an anger problem? Or I'm filled with fear. I just find myself laying in bed afraid. Now, here's the thing. We already know study after study after study has been done. And they found that if people go to a place and they honestly share their situation, they ask for help from the people there and from God. It's off the charts incredible how successful they are in finding victory. Jesus said, oh, how happy are you when you admit your need. And you know that you need me and you need others because when you do that, I want to tell you, freedom is coming. The power of God is coming. Joy is coming. You're going to find, he said, that's what he's saying to us. And he says, I really need you to do this. I I need you to understand this, Jesus is saying. And when we keep going, no, but I can do it. I can do it. I'll fix it. We've missed the whole point. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, he says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves as considering anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He says, how do you make it in life? Well, I got to tell you that if you and I are in this together, and I, by the way, the vast majority of us are, we can walk in and say these words. Hi, I'm Chuck and I'm a sinner. And you could say it too. Do you know what I have found? One of the quickest ways to spot a real Christian from a non-Christian. When you see a Christian and you go, you're a sinner. You know what they always answer back? You bet. And you don't know the half of it. Right? When you say to a non-Christian, you're a sinner. They're like, who are you to judge me? No, I'm a good person. Do you see the difference? And, 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 and it's not that we're weak in this. It's that we're wise. Wise enough to say to God, I need you. Wise enough to say to God, I have to have you. And when Jesus said, when you admit that, then God's power and love moves in an incredible way. Uh, If you have your Bibles, flip over to James chapter 4. And notice how James uh, talks about this and how this plays out in our life. It says this in James 4, starting in verse 6. But God, or Jesus, gives the greater grace. Therefore, it says... God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. By the way, real quick, why is he opposed to the proud? Are you ready? Because people who won't admit their need can't be helped. Uh, I have people all the time coming up saying, Pastor Chuck, I have a husband or I have a wife or a son or a daughter or a friend and they need help. Will you call them? And you know what I've learned the answer needs to be? No. Now why? Because if they won't call us, if they won't come to us to get help, it, it will not do any good. But I always say, well, let's pray that they'll call us. Let's pray though. If people don't ask for help, they're not going to, it doesn't work. And, and you know what? You can't force that on somebody. You can't control them. By the way, I, I know there are probably some of you here saying, man, I'd be happy if my wife acted a certain way. Well, guess what? You can have a happiness apart from that. And trying to control her is not going to work. Some of you wise men, if my husband uh, was, I had some women say, if my husband was more like you, Pastor Chuck, I'd have a happy life. And Pam just goes, oh, they don't know. And uh, <laughs> what, oh, hot oil in your ear? Uh, you know, and, 
No, if, it, it, you know what? Your, your happiness doesn't have to be dependent on that. You can't control other people. And when you let go of that and you say, God, I don't want to try to control anybody else. Should you bring influence? Yes. But I'm not going to base my happiness and my life on trying to control others. I'm going to open up to you and let you work in my life. And, and if you won't do that, God says, I'm opposed to you because you're just ruining your life. Then he says this in, in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We're going to get into this one more next week. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. We'll, we'll talk about that one next week, but get ready for this. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit. Why? For the kingdom of God is his. The power of God, the promise of God, and the presence of God are yours. And he says, if you would come and humble yourself before me, then I'm going to do that for you. And you would start realizing what Paul said in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is not food or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens when, when you come to God that way? Well, what happens is you come in your weakness and you find his strength. You come in your hurt and you find his healing. You might come in your fear and you find his courage. Why? Because it's told, perfect love casts out fear. And in 1 Timothy 1, 7, God then, when you open up and say, God, I need you, he does not give you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and, and self-control in the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He comes and pours that into your life and you begin to start experiencing that in an amazing way. You experience what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He says, take my way of life upon you. Come and unload yours and take mine. It says, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus said, is easy, and my burden is light. Too many people make life too hard. Now, I'm not saying life is easy, but too often we're the ones who make it harder than it should be. And when we come to Jesus, we find a way that's easier, not easy, but easier and a way that's lighter in a way that doesn't burden us and zap us. And, 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 and he says, come, I have this for you. And he's calling out. If you would just say, I need you, Lord, and, and I need you every day. I need you. This is for you. Uh, Paul found that to be true in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where in his pain and weakness, he said, God, please heal me. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfected in weakness. What's Paul's reaction? Most gladly that I'm going to boast in my weakness. David found it to be true when everything in life fell apart and he cried out to God and he said in Psalm 30, 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing and you have loosed my sackcloth and you have girded me with what gladness. Why? Because this is the life God wants for you and you truly have gladness, joy and happiness. He's calling you to that. He wants you to be happy. Uh, um, we, we find that because that's where God lives. Do you want to be close to God? Well, what did James say? Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 is one of my favorite verses. Listen to what it says. It says, for thus says the high and exalted one. I, he says, I dwell on a high place in a holy place, but I also dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God said, I live in the heaven of heavens, in the greatest place of majesty ever. That's one of my homes. But I have another home. Where's his other home? In the heart of anybody who's humble. In the heart of anybody who says they need him. And, he, and here's the thing. Don't miss this. If you're new to all this, this is real. This isn't saying, oh, okay, I believe in God. Therefore, I think he's kind of around. No, it's him coming and making 
a, a love relationship with you that's so real and so dynamic and so powerful that you get his strength, you get his joy, you get his direction, you get his promises, all the promises here. You get his power and his presence. That's the kingdom of God coming in your life. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, right living, and peace and joy. And, and you find that for you. And by the way, it's for every single person here. And, and, and I got to tell you something. When you kneel before God, he exalts you up. C.S. Lewis said these words. C.S. Lewis said, the older I get, the bigger God becomes. In other words, the closer I get to him, the more I humble myself before him. Because the bigger he is, the more powerful he is, the more loving he is, the more amazing he is. And, and, and if you fall in love with God now, I'll tell you what, it's just going to grow into something immense. And it's for everybody. If you're here today and you have fear in your life, it's for you. And you don't have to walk out with fear anymore. If you're here today and you've got some wounds, some people have hurt you. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, you, you say, I, I sometimes it just, I lay in bed and I can't believe they did this to me. Guess what? God can bring healing and freedom. He can free you of that. But you got to say, I need you, Lord. And, and some of you are hanging on to a grudge. You're holding on so tight. And, and this person over here, they hurt you. And you're just so upset. And God says, I want you to, to release the grudge and forgive them. And you go, God, why should I forgive them? Well, let me tell you why. Because it frees you and it heals you. Do you think they really care? The person you're mad at probably could care less that you're angry. But God cares that you are not because of them, because of you. He loves you. He says, come and let go of that. Some of you have done some things in your life Actually, all of us have. And you haven't found freedom from it. And God says, I love you anyway. I couldn't love you more than you. Come open up. So some people right now, man, you, you need this. And if you open up to it, you're going to experience the power of the Spirit in a way that you'll be happy. Now, if you're brand new, how do you do this? Well, the answer is this. You pray a prayer. It starts with talking to God. And what I'm going to ask you to do right now is we're going to go to a time of prayer. And if you would like to commit your life to Christ or... If you need to come back to him. And by the way, if you're a Christian, don't try to earn your way back. Just come back. How do you do that? You do it by talking to him. And in the midst of this time, I'm going to pray a prayer and ask you if you want to. Right where you're sitting to whisper the prayer with me. So it starts by talking to him. And if you say it and mean it, he's going to come and move. But there's a second step. You also need to walk with him. And remember that a humble person is not afraid to let people know what just happened. As a matter of fact, that's the biggest key to you beginning to gain victory in your life and gain God's moving in your life. So if you pray that prayer and mean it, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take courage. I'm going to ask you, after we get done praying, that when we stand to sing, that you make your way to an aisle or make your way to the stairs and come and head down here and go right into this room or car or living room. And, and by you getting up and walking, what you're saying is, I mean this. And I want everyone to know. But most of all, I want to tell myself how true this is. I want God to know how true this is. And when you make that level of outward commitment, then what happens is uh, you're going to find yourself connecting to God in a deeper and deeper way. Now, we want to give you some things back here that would help you. But, but, but the biggest reason I'm asking you to come is at that. It's because as you begin to walk, you're going to sense the presence of God. You're going to sense an emotion that begins to well up. You're going to sense how real this is that you prayed that prayer in a minute. And Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my fathers in heaven. Something powerful occurs when you have the courage to go. By the way, if you want to grab a friend's hand and say, come with me, you can. 
Because we need God and we need people. But no matter what, if you pray this prayer, please come. Also today, if you've never been baptized into Christ by your choice, something you choose to do in a very conscious, intentional worship experience with him by being immersed in the water and coming up. That's what biblical baptism is. It's calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. It's calling out to God for a clear conscience. If you've never done that with Jesus in a way that you knew you were doing it, I also want to ask you to come today and set a time to say, I just want to be his. I need him. I want him. But I want to say this. Please don't miss this last part of my message. I hope you would say, I need him and want him. But he loves you and he wants you. He does. Let's pray. Father, I I love that you love us and I love the life you have for us and I love how real what we're looking at is. That if we, Lord, would have that, that tokos, that poorness in spirit, that desire to reach out to you and say, I need you, God, that you always come. You would never turn us away or reject us. If we say it and genuinely mean it, Lord, we get life with you. We get joy from you. We get love. We get forgiveness. We get cleansing. And God, I know for those of us who know you, we want to do this every single day. And so, Lord, I pray we would. And I ask right now that you would send a promise of your spirit, the power of your spirit, the presence of your spirit in this room. I ask, oh God, that you begin to stir in here that you begin to touch hearts, that you begin to speak to each one of us, but especially those right now who need to give their life to you or those who need to come back to you. The ones who are willing to say they need you. And God, I pray right now they would sense your love. And I pray right now they'd say this prayer with me. They'd mean it. And I thank you for what it's going to mean for them. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you are right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to say these words? But I'm going to lead that prayer right now. If you want God, he wants you. Would you whisper this prayer with me? Do you want this? Are you ready for a life with him? Are you ready to be the person he wants you to be? Are you ready to live with him and experience amazing things? Most of all, his love and his healing and his forgiveness. So right now, if you want this, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, praise God if you prayed that prayer.